All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again, as always, in the blockhouse with Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? It's so good. How are you? Great. Great. Oh, great. You uh, just enjoyed some <laughs> some beef broth? Sure did. Was it delicious? I mean, I just didn't make it very well. I, oh. I got very si- Garfunkel and what's his name? It's Simon. I always want to say Oates. Garfunkel and Oates. Because I mean, that's that comedy show. <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel. That's what I meant. Uh, I got very Simon and Garfunkel. I used too much rosemary and thyme. And uh, it just really funked up my broth. Wow. Anyway. Oh, that was right off the head. That was was pretty good. Uh, I don't even know where to go from that. I've derailed you with broth. Kelly, we're not here to talk about Simon and Garfunkel, though. This is a Bob Dylan podcast. And we, once again, listen to a song. And we let it infect our week. And we are here to talk about that song. I have been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs, the 19th prime number. That's right. I went weak on this one. And we are listening to Boots of Spanish Leather off of 1964's Times They Are. Oh, I'm sailing away, my own true love. I'm sailing away in the morning. Is it something I can send you from across the sea? From the place that I've been landing. All right, Kelly, so we spent the entire week with Boots of Spanish Leather. One of my favorite songs. Very hyped to get this last week when you almost got the our, our one at the very end we, we guess we guess how many songs are left oh yeah and i got like and you, se- i picked 71 it was 72 or vice 72 yeah and uh and so you got to choose last week and you chose this song were you happy with your choice yeah this is uh my official like tied for first favorite bob dylan mm. song only with song to woody and i think this one actually wins over song to woody only because Song to Woody is such a specific song, mm-hmm. and it is very much like talking about Woody Guthrie. Right. And this is like a fucking beautiful love song that you can apply to yeah. anyone. So, yeah. You can uh, be the person sailing away, and you can be the person who's receiving the letters. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's incredible. And this is definitely my favorite one Bob Dylan song I've ever heard. And it's going to be probably, the, I mean, my favorite for the year. I don't think anything could top this. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Shots fired at, at my <laughs> spreadsheet. <laughs> Guess, I guess we'll fucking see. We'll, we we'll just let... stop doing the podcast. No, I don't think so. I think there's a lot more. Because, um, yeah, if you like this, I mean, this is just a gateway drug yeah. to, like, how good it gets. Because I think this is one of his greatest songs. Uh, I think it's... Honestly, if, if one person wrote this song for their life, it'd be enough. Yeah. It would just be enough, I mean, to write something as, as poetic and beautiful as this. This song was written... We're going to get into who it was written to and why in a little bit. But this song was written... Uh, he told, uh, Bob Dylan told uh, Anthony Scaduto, the first biographer of sorts uh, for Bob Dylan, that it was written in 1963, quote, Suze Rotolo, who we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, Suze had gone back to the States, and that's when I worked up the melodies for Boots of Spanish Leather and another song called Girl from the North Country. And they're both incredibly vulnerable. Like, I think if you love this song, you will absolutely love Girl of North Country because it is so pretty, maybe prettier than this. A more straightforward, um, I think this one's a more complicated love song. That's just like, I mean, imagine being like in love with something and having a song written about that love. It's incredible. But uh, people speculate that he perhaps was felt kind of weird about both of them going on his first record. Girl from a North Country does show up on Free Will and Bob Dylan. 
but he kind of kept this one off. So even though it was written and could have been on his first record, he did save it for Times, which is his next record after that. So Remember me to one who lives there She once was a true love man uh, This was recorded uh, in two days, in two takes. One take on August 6th, 1963, and the other take on August 7th, 1963. And that second take is the one that's on Times They Are Changing. This song is also included in the Norton Anthology of Poetry uh, in a section titled Popular Ballads of the 20th Century. He's played this song 298 times as of this recording, the first time uh, at the Town Hall on April 12th, 1963, which we did not listen to because there was a live version on Spotify. So. We don't need to listen to every single town hall, and eventually we will listen to the whole town hall concert itself, and I'm sure that's probably a bootleg series in the making. And uh, it was last played November 6, 2013, as of this recording. But most of those plays, 298 total, he didn't start playing it until the never-ending tour. So there was only a scattering up until the 1990s. Criminal. I know, this it's kind of crazy. Um, and there's a lot of those songs that are just how you can't imagine him not just totally rolling over. And playing forever and ever. So we're going to talk about the song. But before we get into that, I, I think it would definitely behoove us to get into somebody that we haven't, we've definitely alluded to, obviously, with some songs, but we haven't delved into, if you will. So Kelly is here at the Kelly Corner to, <laughs> to tell us about Suze Rotolo. Yeah. Um, debate about the name, apparently. Wikipedia has it as Susie. And apparently, Bob, when he wrote that paragraph or whatever in Chronicles about her, and it was all gross calls her Susie. Mm-hmm. Her name is Susan and as Terry Gross would say, Rodolo. Uh and she when she was talking about her in the interview I listened to mm-hmm. uh, for sure if you want to go check that out yes. from two thousand eight. Uh it's actually really good. So it's only twenty five. Does she call her Suze or Susie? She says Suze. Suze. So I think that's I think in, in No Direction Home, which we'll have to revisit at some point because I, we watched yeah. that season one and probably like in our first maybe ten weeks of yeah, the show. Um so they talk about Suze and Suze I think is in it as well. So they're 2005. Yeah, I think Suze is actually in it. Maybe. I can't confirm that, but they do say Suze. I mean, yeah. I've always just grown up with Suze Rotolo. Yeah. Could it be Rotolo? Can it be Susie? <laughs> Susan? Whatever. It doesn't matter. So right. you're going to call her Susie, I assume. No, Suze. Okay. Because I think Wikipedia is... I think Suze is the... Exa- I mean, if I'm just speaking on this little little tiny molehill, I think that <laughs> Suze is probably the way that I'm going to keep saying it. I, I can't possibly say Susie. Yeah, it doesn't... You need to conform to me! (laughs) Suze it is. Um, She's an artist. She was. She died. Uh, Artist, (laughs) teacher, tact. I have it. uh... She's an an artist, teacher, activist, and kind of a thespian um, Mm. for her whole life. (laughs) As one wants to do when you're interested in art, you kind of just carry that through. Born in November... Born on November 20th, 1943, in Queens, to communist parents, mm. which apparently was like, dun, dun, dun. such a big deal, Enough and it to, was, to, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> to be in there, uh, and she moved to Greenwich Village when she was around 16, mm. or I guess 17, right after she graduated high school. Um, so this is right when it's becoming a hopping scene. Yeah, yeah, and she had to be there, man, had to be there. Yeah. Definitely a shorter trip for her to get to Greenwich Village from Queens than Bob from Hibbing. You're so. right, exactly. Uh Part of she's been part of activist groups her whole life. Um, when around that time in the early sixties, she was part of CORE, which is a Congress of Racial Equality, and SANE, which was an anti-nuclear group, which is now called the Peace Action. Uh, and she met Dylan sixty one at a show at Riverside Church, 
she influenced Dylan a lot by exposing mm-hmm. him to music he had never heard, um, operas. She since she grew up with really liberal parents, um, she said she the Italian American, like as Bob Dylan would grossly go on to say, she was full blooded Italian. <laughs> Reading that paragraph made me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just gross. Uh, she they didn't have a TV or anything, so she was just like a lot of classical music, a lot of just like really cool art things, and her herself was in plays and um, awesome. just deeply involved in the art scene. And he, Bob, had never heard a lot of this stuff. She introduced him to Kurt Weill uh, and Bertolt Brecht, um, who were both mm-hmm. composers, and apparently that influenced him a lot. And obviously, um, Rimbaud, yes. uh, the we'll poet, talk about much later on. Blue. Blue. So, I mean, she obviously had a huge influence on him and unfortunately that's her life has been boiled down to those three four-ish three-ish years that they were together between 61 and 64 um and at some point in 62 she left for perugia italy to go to the university of perugia there um and she was only supposed to be gone for three months and she ended up being gone about eight months mm-hmm. and bob dylan had a really hard time with that, he definitely had a hard time with that. <laughs> and uh between like that and uh, personal stuff like Joe Baez thing and just like the idea of being relegated to the girl on the cover of Free Will and Bob Dylan. Um, she's a really private person and I think that she just didn't want to do it. And yeah. I agree. She, she in that Terry Gross interview, she mentioned specifically and I, just from the music that I've listened to of his, this is 100% accurate. She said he wanted her to be a safe harbor. The one he wanted to, he could go to, on tour. He can fuck whoever he wanted to. He could do whatever he wanted. But she was supposed to be there to pick up the pieces. Shelter from done. the storm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to do that. And no. I, yeah, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want to just be Bob Dylan's girlfriend who's there to take care of him and his kids and while he does well, whatever he wants. But just imagine, what's so crazy about it though, is just imagine that, I mean, imagine yourself being 21, 22. Yeah, so young. Dating your boyfriend who's like, be on my album cover. You're like, oh, cute, honey. Of course I'll be on your cover. Sure. Whatever. Oh my God, Bob, like it's just impossible to imagine a world where Bob Dylan is not Bob Dylan. So she can look at his life and how it turned out and be like, I, I dodged a bullet with that one. Right. Because in the end, that's really what he wanted. She, she had all of her, um, which we don't get in our own real lives. She had all of those concerns validated. Like everything that she thought in breaking up with Bob turned out to be completely true. Yeah. Every single thing that Sarah went through is what Suze would have gone through if she had stayed with that relationship. Yeah. And that's crazy. Like you don't get that in real life. You don't get to watch it unfold like that. It was such a public person, uh, relatively like Bob Dylan. So wild. So post their breakup, unfortunately, there's not a lot of information about her. But I think part of that was her doing too because yeah. just being a private person. It's like a lot of us, you know, if we don't. We're all not Bob Dylan. I mean, right. it's kind of like you don't want to be weird about it and be like, we're all just lesser people. That's not the way it works. But, you know, you live a private life. Mm-hmm. You don't read Wikipedia pages about somebody going and working for their family and their lives. Yeah, we don't got Wikipedia pages. No, we ain't got Wikipedia. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so she ended up marrying an Italian uh, guy who worked for the UN who she met while she was in Perugia, but didn't marry until much later when yeah. she went back a couple times. Sounds nice. Um, they had uh, one son who apparently does music. And she continued to do art. She specialized in something called artist's books, which sound kind of like zines. They're like mm. uh, an artist collection into a book form with found objects as well as whatever, their poetry Very or their, cool. their paintings their paintings and stuff. Um, and I think she also remained active in a couple of theater groups and stuff like that. And she ended up teaching. Um, I couldn't get a f- hard dates on this. Like, because no, it's so sad. Yeah, well, but 
she ended up teaching at the Perkin School of Design for a while, and uh, then she came out with the autobiography, the F- Free Will and Times, mm-hmm. um, in 2008, and then unfortunately she passed away in February 25th, 2011, from lung cancer at her home in New York, so, or in New York, probably at a hospital. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm so glad I looked into her, mm-hmm. because this informs so much of Bob Dylan's music and life. Like this guy never got over her. I mean, just cause their age, she was like 17 when they met mm-hmm. and he was only 20 and or 21 that they were only a couple of years apart. And yeah. that's when everything is life or death. That is the most dramatic you'll ever be. And there's nothing stronger than your love and nothing matters more than that. And just like, he never fucking got over it for her to be so influential on him too to form so much of it. Like he didn't get political until they met. Exactly. Because she was the activist. He wrote some of those songs, those newspaper songs for her. Oh, absolutely. And would run it by her and play it to her and she would, you know, critique and make them better. So the reason that he skyrocketed to fame is hugely in part to, to Susan Rotolo and like... And I think the reason he didn't stay the voice man of the generation or whatever or the voice of a generation is because Suze was gone. She wasn't there and there wasn't him. a reason to... Well, and he got pushed in other ways, but yeah. he wasn't going to be the newspaper song guy anymore. He wasn't going to be the voice of dissent uh, about Vietnam. Like, he was going to go off and chase another muse. And She said even said her own personal work was influenced by him a lot, too. So sense. for better or worse. And I mean, that's what happens in relationships, mm-hmm. that you just kind of... Your lives co-mingle, and they, it gets hard to separate. But I... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that so many of his songs are just fantastical versions of their relationships and the yeah. way that he misremembered it. And especially as time goes on, like how he remembered that period and how he wished he could have been or how things could have been. And then, so it's, it's just wrapped up in a little bit of poetry, a little bit of metaphor, but it's always about her. Yeah. And like, wow. <laughs> well, and this song, this song is testament to that. This song is like a big R romantic. I used to be quite romantic and, uh, This song's called Boots of Spanish Leather. And, uh... It's incredible. And what's really interesting that I didn't really know about looking into this is that according to Clinton Highland, again, Clinton Highland forever, he says, quote, we know that Dylan now knew that Suze was not in Italy when he was over there in Europe. So he tried to go find her. He went to Europe uh, to do a play or a, a show for the BBC. And very famously, and we've talked about songs um, with God on Our Side, he learned those when he was in Europe, when he was in England, playing just those local little shows or whatever. He took that all that stuff and brought it back. Um, with God on Our Side is on this record too. So he's really like... This is another prime moment for Bob where he's being molded into what he's going to become. But I think we thought for a long time that Bob was actually searching for Suze and could not find her, something like that. But it turns out that Suze actually, he did know that Suze had gone back to America when he was in Europe. So there was overlap because, quoting Clinton Highland, we know that Dylan knew Suze was not in Italy because the lady in question recently auctioned a postcard that Dylan sent to her from Italy that January, addressed to Sue Rotolo care of Bob Dylan, 161 West 4th Street. The card posted the day Dylan returned to London, which would have been the 10th. 
is remarkably upbeat if it was written the same week as he composed the model in boots of Spanish leather, displaying plenty of flashes of that characteristic offbeat humor. The card says, gotta go, got a meeting with the Pope about all the colored people coming over here. Amore, Bob. <laughs> so it's a very like cute, funny note that's very lighthearted and contrast that to like the depths of boots of Spanish leather. I think that's always really interesting to see how people like comport themselves in real life and then like in their darker places sit down and can make something like this. I was curious and I was going to ask you, do you know of any songs from the 50s or 60s that are like this? Because we're still coming out of kind of like the big band era of the 40s. Uh, the 50s definitely had like the, that's the sta- standards era, right? Where everybody's singing songs other people right. have written like Frank Sinatra, Billie Holiday. We're still a lot heavy jazz influence so the 60s clearly were a beast of their own and for a singer-songwriter to be writing a love song just on an acoustic guitar just him singing this melancholy beautiful tune i i was really curious if you knew anybody that was doing anything similar at the time no i think that's it gets back to the folk movement movement being countercultural and you know you always marvel at how folk music was seen as (laughs) the communist menace or whatever the punk rock (laughs) of the 60s I think there's a reason for that. It's like people were not just making their own music. I think that's also another element that hadn't really permeated yet. Like you needed the DIY because even Bob Dylan needed a record contract and needed to be discovered. But that was really quickly changing, and I think that really influenced troubadours and newspaper songs, especially with the era that they were living in. I don't think there are those, especially not in pop music. I'm sure people have been playing traditional ballads for a long Under time, forever, yeah. and that's where Bob picked this up. This is not from nowhere. Scarborough Fair, anybody? Yes. So. You know, I don't think that popular music, though, is doing this. And I think that's what made Bob so interesting, especially when you can write a song that at first glance, you're like, oh, this is a really beautiful traditional song that was written 300 years ago. And you're like, oh, shit, this little 21-year-old kid wrote this? Holy fuck. It's so unique in that, like, because blues comes to mind immediately, right? Mm -hmm. That's the classic, I'm sad, I got a guitar. Here are my woes. But the way that this is at once... Like it's just bittersweet, right? It's like the most bittersweet song ever written. It, Definitely, it's so it's not blues, right? But right. it's it's just a guy with a guitar. So it seems like how can this not have been done before? Right. And yet I can't think of anyone uh-uh. again. Not that I know the whole scope and scape of music, but uh, I can't think of anyone that was doing this. Yeah, definitely not popular music, yeah. Because now everyone does. Everyone. Like fucking John Mayer is like a person and doing this basically well, forever. But, but also it's expected that no matter what your thing is, I mean, imagine all the new metal and like hardcore oh, bands and and stuff that have the track. one acoustic track. <laughs> right. And some bands like Defeater and like bands that I listen to have been really deft with how they've like incorporated that those, those two poles that are, still exist today, which is having that hard on your sleeve acoustic track, you know, that Bob made i mean this is like this is popular music that's still being imitated today especially a track like this and you know i think a lot of bands regardless of your genre have this version of this song i'm sure even hip-hop has it too like kind of a a banging album and then you gotta have that slow track you know where you're like opening up about your own personal stuff and like lamenting like yeah exactly you have to and i think we expect that of our artists because it feels so personal. And I think that's the double edge when you find out that Bob Dylan did write this and it's not from 17th century England or whatever. You really connect on another level. Like, wow, those are really profound. And I think that influence is really spread. This song is a scorcher. And a lot of people, when they write about it, I get really moved because I was one of those kids too when I first heard it. It is romantic to its core. And it's something that everybody wants to go out and see 
the darkest oceans and the deepest starry nights that are, are possible and to have a love that seemingly is like that but then everybody's been burned and been on both sides of that coin and i think it's a it's a song that if suze was um an influence on that and they influenced each other then her influence will be felt forever yeah. you know and that's kind of another beautiful way to think about this bob dylan character you know how do you reconcile with someone you dated for three or four years becoming bob dylan well you helped influence a lot of the stuff that was made that they will never really maybe you won't get your due but truly you did something unique on this earth and that's pretty incredible you know yeah. oh but if i had the stars from the darkest night and the diamonds from the deepest ocean I'd forsake them all for your sweet kiss For that's all I'm wishing to be owning Yeah, so this song, if we want to talk about it, we listened to a few versions of it. We did not listen to the town hall version just because I kind of want to put a little ceasefire on the town hall so we don't do it every single time because we will do a supplemental series someday about it. But we listened to the Whitmark demo and we listened to the Carnegie Hall. All of those are on Spotify. All of those are on our playlist, which you can find on Spotify. Um, see that my playlist is kept clean or go to our website, sotwpod.com. You can find all of our playlists cataloged there or go to our Twitter or whatever. You know, you're good at the internet. You can f- figure it out. <laughs> so Kelly, which, which version... Um, drew you in the most i the times there are changing is definitely my favorite i yeah, mean I it's just like this is true for all the versions but like it's gorgeous and evocative uh it's like it has a perfect amount of reverb um which the other mm. ones are lacking i feel like so it gives it this kind of ghostly just a little bit just enough of that balance to give it that bittersweetness like while the lyrics do it as well and the tonation of his voice is fucking perfect like everything about it is perfect um, I think that the way it was recorded, which is just a little bit of reverb, really makes it surround you and feel everywhere. It's a great point. Um, and it's true. Versus some of the, the other versions kind of feel like a guy in a room. I also like the tempo more in this one because it is a little faster than the other two. A minute faster. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that that also lends to the over um, overarching feeling of that the melancholy, like the longing. It Because it's faster, it gives it like an urgency and a desperation that the other two kind of don't have because they're slower and it's like they're still they're still good like the and they're very similar like the whitmark one and the carnegie hall one are very And something to always remember with the whitmark one that i don't think i bring up except for maybe the first time we ever talked about it is that those are demos that are meant to be other artists listening to it so that they can get gather right picking kind of want it slower yeah so he and he's playing it very slow i think that makes it really interesting Mm -hmm. like because it's so slow we're almost not supposed to be hearing it. This is supposed to be another artist who's trying to mimic, you to know, learn. what the and to write down the lyrics or do whatever it is to try to play that song themselves. But when he slows it down like that, ooh, it's very like it's it even better? more haunting. No, I don't. Okay. The the Times version is far and away the best version and one of the most beautiful sounding songs that he'll ever make. But I do love the Whitmark demos in general. Yeah. I think that they're kind of, they're not the first go-to. I don't think any one of the demos are better than the originals. Um, I might eat those words later on, I think. But um, but for the most part, he you know, it's just him and a guitar. Yeah. It's just going to be a really little bit different. what it is. Absolutely. And he does have the cool little takes, you know, when he's like, uh, this imposes or supposes. supposes. 
a real problem. It's a very interesting start. And, and Carnegie Hall has the same thing. He says, uh, this is a can't get what you want. You have to settle for less kind of thing. Interesting takes, you know, and both of them are kind of the same thing, but also kind of different. Uh, and I think that's kind of what we're here to talk about, too. The style of the song. It's a very interesting style. When you first listen to it, I'm curious for people who have never heard it before. You had never heard this song before. No. Were you thrown off at all by the lyrics? Was it easy to gather that it was like two people talking to each other or did... Um, well, quick tangent. Um, yeah, please. So I had a really hard time listening to this song this week, kind of like I had for Woody Guthrie because it made me very emotional. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why it's like the best because things are, should move you. And it did. And it yes. made me move all the way to turning it off because I was like, <laughs> I can't. I'm going to cry. So the first, yeah, exactly. I'm at work. This is inappropriate. Yes. Um, the first couple times I listened to it, I don't even think I was 100% listening to the words. Yeah. I was just like, this is so beautiful. And in fact, I've been building this playlist. Again, this is a tangent. I'm allowed to do this. I'm building this playlist for um, a very close friend of mine that I've known for years and years. Um, we used to send, I, well, I used to send her mixed CDs every year of the songs that I was listening to that reminded me of her or just like, this time and place in my life yeah. and um, as technology has changed now I just have a Spotify playlist right. so she can see it and I can add to whatever change things whenever I want to yeah. so um, this is this song went on there this is the first time I've ever That's put amazing. a Bob Dylan song on a playlist level you're coming this out you're coming out as a Bob Dylan listener <laughs> exactly we respect your um, yeah it's so to, it just like this is an amazing love song and I, I mean, I've put some of his stuff on that my like wild west playlist right. which is you know but that's kind Seven of curses, like a, you know? yeah, yeah which is very like just a theme but for like i love the song and i it makes me feel like think about a person that i love and it just yeah so that was really huge for me yeah. but what were we even talking about oh yeah the lyrics <laughs> oh just the style yeah 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 so um once i did actually tune in it was it was pretty obvious that it was a back mm-hmm. and forth um and it goes that way until about partway through the song and then it's just from the perspective of the narrator and again this is always lesbian so it's two ladies <laughs> it's a lady singing about a lady so not that that has really any bearing on the situation but just so you know where i'm going from yes. but yeah um as of the verse um how can you ask me again it only brings me sorrow mm-hmm. and then it's just the narrator from there right. on out so that's cool it was like a flip-flop and then it's like i think that's indicative of the the point of the piece is just like She's gone. You have to accept it. Now you're talking into the fucking void. I guess just send me boots because I don't know what else to say. Right. Yeah. And Highland says, you know, you expect this kind of like a Dear John letter, essentially. You know, you're going to finally right. get the final letter because you're listening to a back and forth. And then it just kind of stops like the other person is not heard of again. And if there was that inciting letter, because he does say or she says, yeah. I got a lonesome letter. Well, we didn't hear what that letter said. And I think that's very important for like the next three verses that close out the song. Um, I think it's incredible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going before we kind of get into that and I want to talk about the final verse specifically, um, there are a couple, um, things that were brought up about Gypsy Davy. Um, Mm -hmm. but with the Woody Guthrie song where he's got buckskin gloves made of Spanish leather. And then there's also another, uh, traditional song called blackjack Davy. Um, that goes, and we can, we're actually going to listen to this at some point. It was on Good As I Bend To You and from 1992. Uh, he says, pull off, pull off them high-heeled shoes all made of Spanish leather. Get behind me on my horse and we'll ride off together. We'll both go off together. Um, very fun song, actually. Uh, I like that one a lot. So we'll, we'll, we will talk about Spanish leather again. We'll talk about Oh, that must boots have the, the and... cadence of Gypsy Davy because we'll both go off together. Exactly. We'll both go off together. <laughs> what do you make of the phrase Spanish boots of Spanish leather? What does that mean? Uh, other than redundant. Other than redundant. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's, I, I think it could have been anything. I think it just sounded good together. It's, yeah. and it, which it does. I mean, everything about the song is so pretty, but 
Um, I, I think it's just a physical representation of what he said for settling. Like, uh, yeah. this is a song for when you can't get what you want, you settle. So that brings us to the final verse, the very sad final verse. I mean, I guess you can read it as sad um, when you're going through this situation, but if you're on the other side of it. And it's like can, acceptance and moving on. Yeah, or in a sense of empowerment, too. Um, also a dick move. There's a, a million <laughs> ways to read. How did you read it when you first heard it and like were truly... Keyed uh, in. Yeah, um, keyed in. I, I took it as just like... The, I keep saying melancholy because that's how it is. It's just like a sad acceptance. Okay. Like acceptance I in like you're not coming back so I want to get one thing out of this relationship before I, it's I, over again, let me get those boots I don't think he really wanted the boots I think that was just a metaphor mm. um, I, I think it's just saying like I whatever I, I guess I'll take do you the, know what Spanish I'll take boots the token are? no Spanish boots were used during the uh, the Inquisition uh-huh. a Spanish boot uh, this is from Wikipedia uh, was an iron casting for the leg and the foot. Wood and iron wedges were hammered in between the casings and the victim's flesh. A similar device, commonly referred to as a shin crusher, squeezed the calf between two curved iron plates studded with spikes, teeth, and knobs to fracture the tibia and fibula. Oh, well, that gives it a twist. And there is a actually, weirdly enough, a, a nursery rhyme that never made it to the states, like in a big way, mm. um, which is called "Shoes of Spanish Leather," and it doesn't it doesn't involve tibia and fibula you know destruction it involves more just like it's kind of like a it's a nursery rhyme about shoes and there's a line just about spanish shoes of spanish leather and i think he sort of took that spanish shoes of spanish leather uh and sort of moved it over into this realm with the it's also in gypsy davy yeah yeah absolutely yeah sure right and so there there is this long tradition that bob is still tapping into especially in this time but what's interesting about the spanish booth that really got me thinking is that the relationship had changed so much like every time that she asked him and she kept asking him that's also what's really interesting you sure you don't want anything and he said the very first time uh no there's nothing you can send me my true love there's nothing I wish that I'm wishing to be on and just carry yourself back to me unspoiled. Yeah, that Gross. was the only one. From across that lonesome ocean. But like yeah. unspoiled is still like just come not it's gross. Yeah, I mean it's I a mean, gross you can phrasing. Take it there, but, but like because the song I, I don't choose to view that song this way. I mean because it's obviously like don't do anything gross over there, don't you go sleeping around. But just you like can come also back to me as you as were. you are. Yeah. Exactly. Don't come back as a different person. And then she asks again, Are you sure you don't want stuff from Madrid and Barcelona? Because I'd be going. He's like, No, if I had the stars on the darkest night and all the diamonds from the deepest ocean, ugh, I'd forsake them all for your sweet kiss, for that's all I'm wishing to be on it. Adorable. And then she's like, you sure, though? You're fucking sure? Because yes. this might might be the last time I'm asking, and I'm going to send that final letter. He says, uh, the same thing I want from you today is the same thing I'll want again tomorrow. And then at the very end, he's like, give me those boots. <laughs> now, now I think this, I, that's, and that's the interesting read, is like, why did he ask for the boots? Maybe that's the point. So even her asking it is almost like tangentially this agreement that this is the end. Like, what is the final offering that you want that can symbolize our relationship? Now, knowing what a Spanish boot is, that makes it a very dark reading right. where it's something that you want to get almost to torture, not literally, but to torture yourself. Yeah. You're going to watch those boots. You're going to put on those boots and you'll always be reminded of that person. You can read it as a dick move, which is like, let me get those boots because we're not going to talk again. So give me you want to give me something. Yeah. Yes, I would love some boots, please. Thank yeah. you. Uh, make them the more expensive, the better. You can read it like that. Um, I don't know how to read it. I think it's very interesting just by what side you're on and how old you get on and relationships that you've been in. 
um, it really takes on just different airs. Like I, I personally see it as, as kind of more to the torture thing, more of the, um, the, the melancholiness, the, the resignation that this is over. It's a very adult way of looking at a relationship, I guess, is what's really... Bob Dylan does not handle himself well in this relationship. He writes a song later uh, for another side of Bob Dylan called Ballad and Plate D, which is very hateful, very vicious, very shitty at Sue's and at Sue's family. He does not handle his real life well. And I think Bob Dylan, you could say, has not handled his own real life that well. But this song is really adult. This song is really, I like the way that it handles relationships. And it's kind of just a tacit acknowledgement that it's over and acceptance really quickly. And I think we all keep mementos of the people that we're with and that we loved. And if we don't end up hating them and destroying them, we would keep those boots of Spanish leather because you never know how life is going to turn out. And I think that's some of this too. I think Bob, even if we imagine it, Bob being the one who's watching the sailing ship going away, we know from his words and his lyrics, especially at this time, that he also dreamed of going away, of disappearing. All of his songs are traveling songs in some way. Song to Woody is nothing but I'm getting on that lonesome road and headed out. Well, she did that. So now he's got to be the one left behind. But he can, I think he can intellectualize being on the other side of it. And that's why he comes on to say, I know your thoughts aren't with me, but with the country where you're going, because he himself has done that. And so I think he's starting to see all of the acts of this of this other character in him or her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's this weird acceptance where it's like, I got you. I understand you. But at the same time, I want those boots. Like, I want something to remember this forever. Yeah. And maybe you'll remember giving it to me because maybe you keep asking. So you want to give me something. And maybe by you giving, you will remember me. Yeah. Or it help assuage some guilt or right, something. Right. Something. I guess you could also take it like in a more modern context as like kind of... Uh, a shitty text you send in the middle of the night three months after we've broken up where it's like, just, hey, just pay attention to me. Send me something. Talk yeah. to me. Like, What's the Netflix password? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I definitely don't take it as that. I take it as acceptance yeah. and wanting a memento. I think you almost have to. I think when you think about it as just, because um, I think the darkest read is to be like, this relationship is over. What's the last thing I can get out of it? Right. Like this was a waste of my time. Yeah. But I will I, I take, take those it. boots. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a shitty move. Like you might as well give me something. But it's also something that I think we felt. I mean, I think that that's still oh, an yeah, emotion that we've totally. all felt. So I think reading that in, especially if you're at a place like that, I don't think it's wrong, but I don't think it really, it doesn't hold up with the kind of the style of the song and like no. what Bob is kind of going for. It's a very, it's melancholy enough that the viciousness is sort of, melted away it's not there it's not there um i did want to ask you also this song is amazing and i I, like i said i don't know that i'll we'll hear a better bob dylan song i know this isn't even your favorite one so i'm excited it's not even my favorite on uh, times era changes see that's crazy so i'm excited if if this is like there's more of this out Mm -hmm. there because as a bob dylan fan i would say like i i'm at not me as a Bob Dylan fan. Yes. I'm asking you. Yes. Um, <laughs> last week we talked about if we, I can't even remember what song it was on Empire Burlesque. It might as well have been the whole album. And you were like, if I had to explain oh. why Bob Dylan's the best <laughs> I think it's song never going to be the same again. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, who cares? It's yeah. all terrible. Yes. If I had to explain to somebody that Bob Dylan's the best songwriter in the world, and then they had to listen to this song, mm-hmm. it would it'd be impossible. <laughs> like, is it frustrating for you? Like, I don't know. Like, I think this is the height, right? Like, this is a yeah. b- beautiful song. Beautiful. Um, I don't know. 
are you mad sometimes when you listen? Like, why are you doing this? Well, like listening to like Never Gonna Be the Same Again and like Empire Burlesque. Yeah, I think you're going to come around too to where it's just, it's puzzling at best and it's infuriating most of the time. Yeah. Uh, Most of the time, another great song. Um, (laughs) But it really is infuriating. Yeah, because it doesn't make any sense. And I think it's just, but he's, he's lived such a career that you just, you can chalk it up to a million things. He's like burned out. He, it's the 1980s. I mean, you gotta, you also gotta blame external factors as well. And I think Bob exhausted a lot of his emotions in how great these songs are. That it wasn't until he became an old man, until he became, you know, over 50, when he was back to writing songs of like actual emotional depth. Out the other and, side again. Exactly. And I think that in between will always, always be beguiling at best. So yeah, if I was to give this song to somebody, they would be like, yeah, oh, that like, would be I it. get it. I this get is it. the first Bob Dylan song I ever heard. I'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, this this guy's great. Yeah. Uh, his so voice good. is weird enough where it's like, it's a strange oh, voice. Oh, it sounds so good, But it's though. so good. Yeah. But it makes you kind of want more. It's Whereas unique. This you, song is so unique for the time. Yeah. That's why I was so curious about what was going on yeah. uh, contemporary to this song because it's so unique. Even now it stands out amongst a mm. myriad of acoustic music that's available. Like, holy shit. Yeah. What a perfect blend of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I love this song a lot, but just thinking about thinking about this album, it's probably the fourth best song on the re- on the record. That's intense. Yeah, and we've listened to um, with God on Our Side, which and is I've a great heard song. Times Era Changing and Times Era Changing, yeah. which is not great. That would be a low one for me. Um, but then we also listened to Ballad of Hollis Brown, which is on oh, this yeah. as well, and that was number two. I think this was track seven or something. So it's kind of a, it's a weird listen. You know, you start with Times, you go to Ballad of Hollis Brown, and then we listen to With God on Our Side, which I think is track three. Very so political. Very political. And then it gets to this really, you know, dense place. But um, but this is a lot like Ballad of Hollis Brown. You know, that was kind of a standout for season one of the show. That was our last episode of season one. And that was a, that was a beautiful song too. A very haunting, so scary song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but that, this one doesn't have that. This one doesn't have the, the scary elements. Like there's no, sh- there's no wave that's going to like capsize a boat or anything like that in the way that Hollis Brown, every time they would talk about the environment, it's like that, that snow and that, that wind is out to get you. It's out to make you crazy. It's out there to kill your family. Right. Whereas this one doesn't have those, those natural elements that are such a part of Bob Dylan's um, writing throughout his entire life are very absent, this which is, is kind of just interesting. Heartache. I mean, it just this is just heartache. There. And writing that with "Girl from the North Country," we will we will one hundred percent re-listen to this song again when we get that song. There's a lot. He's pouring a lot of stuff into this song, and it, it pays off. It's one of his best for sure. So take heed, take heed of the western winds. Take heed of the stormy weather And yes, there's something you can send back to me Spanish boots are Spanish leather All right, Kelly, we were also people in the real world. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you were just a crying just a mess. <laughs> But we uh, we are definitely here, and we listen to you know new albums or watch movies or whatever. What were you doing that you would recommend to everybody out there? Um, I'm mostly listen to our playlist, but I because you know Spotify has like you can see what your friends are listening to. I follow MC Lars, oh, and cool. he, this is like the most roundabout fucking thing ever. So he was listening to uh, Longmont Potion Castle, Castle, 
which Longmont, Colorado. Longmont, Colorado, yeah. yeah. Um, which I spent some time in myself. Uh, he's a serial prank caller from Longmont and also <laughs> operated out of uh, California at one point. So he just has a weird album of like crank calls. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, MC Lars, that's why I love following him. Cause like, and then the next minute he's listening to Judas Priest and then he's listening to 80s hip hop and he's just like all over the fucking yeah. place. It's great. It's amazing. Um, and <laughs> he'll, there's only one album of these guys' prank calls on there, Longmont Potion Castle. Uh, but great if name. you scroll to the bottom of an artist's page, mm. it'll show Also Appears On. And on the Also Appears On was this album called like Chainsaw Something or Other. By Black Moth Super Rainbow, and I was like, oh, yeah, you were that listening out. the shit out of that. <laughs> yeah. What is it? So they're like a psychedelic uh, indie pop, I guess okay. is what they call them. They're from Pennsylvania, and they're actually playing a show at the Wonder Ballroom wow. here in Portland on October nineteenth. Get your tickets now. Um, but yeah, it's really weird, spacey shit. They put every the most of their vocals through a vocoder, so it sounds really mm. like roboty, and a lot of it ends up, even though they're using actual instruments, sounds a lot like. Um, old NES kind of okay. graphic-y sounds. Cool. Um, they, they do cool shit. They wear scary masks sometimes, and they like, one of their Kickstarters, they, to do an album, they did a Kickstarter because they're a little indie band, but they uh, they sent people personalized masks that they made with jump drives in the teeth, like, for That's their album. Awesome. Yeah, like, just, they're really weird. They're like an art, cl- they're really like enigmatic, apparently. They don't do a lot of public anything. Yeah. There's no PR for them. They, yeah, so Black Mountain Super Rando, if you're into like kind of atmospheric shit, which I know is my M.O., um, they do have a little bit of vocals, but it's mostly just that sounds awesome. I Love You America I'm listening to I've been watching I Love You America Sarah Silverman show just came back for season 2 you did recommend that yeah last year I did yeah and I never actually finished it I only got 3 episodes or 4 episodes in and I stopped watching it I don't know why Um, but yeah I went back and I watched all of season 1 and the first 2 episodes of season 2 and it's it's just really good you should check it out the the theme song is my (laughs) psychic friend uh, which another fucking k-hole so the (laughs) psychic friend uh, it's very like Foster the People. I thought it was Foster okay. the People at first, yep. um, but the vocalist slash guitarist, like the main dude, is is uh, from an, a band called Imperial Teen. That okay. the keyboardist of Faith No More, right? It's <laughs> it. What is it? The song Epic. Epic. It was huge. Right. You want it all, yeah. but yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So the keyboardist of Faith No More, Roddy Bottom, and the drummer Lynn Perkins. Uh, who played with the Dicks? Oh my God! And Sister no way. Double Happiness, which is Gary Floyd's other band, Whoa. made Imperial Teen with this guy from Psychic Friend, which I didn't write his name down apparently. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Um, but yeah, they made Imperial Teen, and it's the fucking like the song from the movie Jawbreaker, which I love with all my heart. Like, oh my God, yeah, the song Who. She said you. I am queen. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Wow. So yeah, that whole fucking thing. Psychic Friend, the guy who is Psychic Friend, was also an Imperial Teen, a band which had the drummer from the Dicks and the keyboardist wow. from Faith No More. <laughs> Super group. Yeah, I know, right? right? Yeah, so... In the, in the indie punk rock Texas <laughs> fan community. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was really cool. It's like, wow. life is just folding in on itself. And this whole time you're just like, I need a break and let me listen to this Bob Dylan song. Oh, I'm great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back to weird. Back to the 90s I weird I need weird shit. electronic <laughs> noises to just diffuse my feelings. Exactly. 
So well, that was my time. <laughs> what a what a fucking week. I don't have anything even akin to that. Uh, the Dirty Nil, who we saw with uh, against me, oh, yeah, we went yeah. to, with them. Released an album called Master Volume. I've never like they rock so fucking hard. I highly recommend it if you want like a fun thirty minute album that just fucking riff after riff. Uh, that was a band with like all girls, right? No, no, that was uh, there was one before them. That was the one before. Oh, okay. yeah, so that was Bleach. Bleached. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Ah, oh, Bleach. When's Bleach coming back with right. something else? Yeah, no, but the Dirty No, fantastic. <laughs> Gotta say, first record was really fun, and they're apparently like kind of blowing up. So like, get on on the ground floor. sure they're coming to a city near you get your tickets now maybe they're touring together with your guys the black bath super rainbow that would be a great show also weirdly divine ohio one of my favorite bands especially growing up um they have a record from 2007 called the fear the fear the fear it's back on spotify it was gone forever i don't know why but i randomly went on there just because i'm like looking for there's a song called anxious and worrying one of my favorite songs of all time and it was just back and I was stoked because I, I tried to like re-download it to put it on my iPhone so I could just listen to this record in particular whenever I needed to because it had all the rest of them. So Defiance Ohio, if you're out there, they had a record in 2010. Please make another one. Where are you guys? It's so sad. And then I finished Community. Nice. Not finished the whole thing, but I finished season three. And at the end of it, I was just laughing so hard because it is so inaccessible. I'm just watching the show and I'm like, <laughs> there is no way the that anyone wasn't made for normal people. Wasn't made for normal people. <laughs> and I just, I still marvel at it. How it was made and how it continued to be made is still a very fun aspect of it. Because now I'm like halfway through season four and it's not as good. It just fundamentally isn't as good. And we all know why because Dan Harmon wasn't there. But it just, why even come back? for a season four to begin with. You know, they ended season three with the six seasons in a movie, like, logo or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the last episode was them talking about being inaccessible and how they're not coming back right. for the next season because we're surely not going to be here. But then they were. And I'm glad that they were because season five then picks up and then I'm excited to watch six again. So if you haven't watched Community, I recommend it. And definitely start at the beginning. I think that was like my first recommendation for the show. Yeah, I think so. Well, and you know, you and I both do the loops. We just kind of watch The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, and 30 30 Rock Rock. on loop forever. And I think that's just like, it's like a blanket. It's like a comfort zone. Whenever you're bored, that's the first place I go to. I'm just like, I don't really want to watch this intense drama. Let's pop. Where am I at on Community? Where am I at on 30 Rock? Because you can just pick it up and leave and come back to it whenever. But I always watch them sequentially. I never like go and watch them. I did it with The Office a bit. Well, I do that if I'm like, if I want to cry or if I want to like, well, then I'll just pop on, you know, the job or whatever and watch Jim come in and ask Pam to go on a date. And like, that's enough. Like that fulfills everything I ever need. Uh, But yeah, I don't really do that. Especially with like Community. Like they're lovely episodes, but I can't think of like an emotional catharsis. That I have. But, I, can't, I mean, Parks and Rec definitely gets it. Like, Parks and Rec, absolutely. Or like when Ben proposes to Leslie is fucking amazing. Their wedding. Ugh, fuck off. It's amazing. <laughs> and that's why I think that show is the best. And we'll talk about that maybe in some future podcast. When we go back and watch Parks and Rec again. Again and again and again. <laughs> forever, forever. And of course, I want to shout out our playlist. Like I said before, you can find that on Spotify. See that my playlist is kept clean or at our website, SOTW Pod. I want to welcome back to the playlist, Stormzy. Oh, yeah. The Clash. John I love the Fry. way he says boots. 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 <laughs> uh, and that song is amazing. Um, 
too big for your boots. You're never too big for Adele. You know, <laughs> uh, The Clash, amazing. John Prine, of course, um, was on this. Oh, with Spanish Pipeline, yeah. Very much a sign on the window type of song. We're gonna go eat peaches. Oh, yeah, We're gonna right. try to find Jesus. Uh, and then Aretha Franklin is back. Uh, Every Time I Die is back. Joyce Manor. Uh, new album's coming out very soon. Cake is back. Tori, oh, Cake is always back. I mean, really, that's mm-hmm. one of our oh, yeah. mainstays. Tori Amos is back. She was actually, I had to recheck. She uh, did that cover of Smells, Smells Like, like Teen Spirit. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you remembered because yeah. I was like, I know we've Leather is great. Before. I love that song. I only really that to song is actually really great. Yeah. I and, uh, where it fits in our playlist is is very great too. And welcome to the playlist to Arlie. I really like that song. Barcelona boat. Barcelona. Barcelona boots. Right. Weird pick. I just I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. No, that was a great that was a great pick. Uh, Gloca Mora, rest in peace. They are gone. Uh, Nancy Sinatra. Mm-hmm. That's a famous song. Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass Band. <laughs> uh, I own that album because of my dad wrote a for now. Yes, and that right, and that album is exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, going places, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> Never forget. Welcome to uh, the playlist, Banner Pilot. Spanish Reds, probably one of my favorite, just like punk songs. Just lay in bed drinking Spanish Reds, yeah. waiting for the rain to stop. Mm, love it. Fowl's Little Feet, 1974. I had to look up. I oh, love yeah. that album cover. Uh, and and the um, the album title is Feats Don't Fail Me Now. And that's Feats, F-E-A-T-S. Amazing. Right. Uh, Tyga and uh, Jackie Oates I had it on last minute because it was a fun little like, yeah, she's like a little singer songwriter. That was really great. And I took off Drake. Sorry, Drake. You make it on so many playlists, <laughs> you're gone. We didn't need you this time. So anyways, one of my favorites, but we didn't mention probably our, one of our favorite songs, period. King of Spain. That's right. Tallest Man on Earth. We're going to see Tallest Man on Earth in November. We will definitely be doing a special pot for that. Actually, we definitely will be, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. But he is quoted as saying, quote, I'm not trying to hide Dylan's influence on me and how it's given me energy and inspiration to try to write songs and do good live shows since I was 15 years old. Spanish leather Oh, while I'm satin in my crown I'll disappear in some flamenco And perhaps I'll reach the other side Why are you stabbing my illusion? Oh, just cause I stole some eagle's wings Because you named me as your lover Five songs have been out. I went actually watched the videos for the five, and they're lovely. He's a lovely filmmaker, and they're very like they just make you feel good. And he plays a lot of uh, interlude of old stuff from all of his older records. He'll just kind of like pick up a guitar and be like, "I want to go out and buy this guitar," and then he's just like, "But he just starts playing like the song you know, and, and then he just kind of like riffs on it, and then he just shows pictures of the outside and storms and ugh, Sweden's beautiful, and uh, wherever he lives in New York is beautiful too. Lovely. So I highly recommend King of Spain. Um, the Wild Hunt is just one of my favorite albums of all time. Such an influence on my life at a very specific time in 2010. Love it to death. But it's definitely more of like um, Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. Less Boots of Spanish Leather. I, I re-listened to it again going through the lyrics. And I was like, is he oh, encoding no. something? No, no, no. He's not at all. He's yeah. just referencing 100%. And and again, it's like kind of the, the swag. And he's also there. He's there with somebody. Whereas Bob Dylan is obviously an ocean away. So there really is no correlation between just the two. The, just the lyric. But that is a choice-ass lyric. And good job for him for doing it. All right, Kelly, this is the end of a great episode of a great, great song. 67 in the books. We're going on to 68. So I'm going to delete out Boots of Spanish Leather. Do we have to? I know. It's gone forever (laughs) until we listen to 
Times are changing. The girl from the North Country. Oh, Which we might pick. So if you don't know, this is the point in the episode where we pick next week's song. Kelly is going to guess uh, one out of 443 songs we have left. You can see the spreadsheet at our website, SOTWpod.com. We're also on Twitter at SOTWpod. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Literally everything you can think at SOTWpod. But this is the point in the episode where we pick the song. So Kelly, one out of 443. Last week you were really close. You were one off. I'll never be that close again. True. And if you ever did actually get it, I'd probably just lie to you or something. I mean, who, who knows? As long as you don't pick Blind Willie McTell, we are good to go. Right. One out of 443. Kelly, what you got? 276. 276. Pick another one. Five. One out of 443. What you got? 402. 402. I, feel like wow. I pick that all the time. I know. You definitely do. Ooh. Oh, this would have been one of my favorite songs. I say that. Literally all the time, but truly this was a, a very, very mysterious song for me growing up because it uh, fades out at the very end. It's not a completed song. Uh, it's called She's Your Lover Now uh, that he recorded during the Blonde on Blonde sessions. Could have been on that record. It's definitely on the cutting edge and it was originally out on the uh, Bootleg Series Volume 1 through 3. Excellent song. Excellent choice, Kelly. But as always, <laughs> wrong. 344 is the right answer. Ah, We're going to go back to... 1970. How are you feeling about 1970? We're going to go to the problematic, I went to see the gypsy. We have actually talked about this. I think we almost got this one time. Hmm. Uh, or like you picked this by accident one time. So we're going to go do it. So this is New Morning, uh, the album New Morning, where Sign on the Window comes from. We have done one song from this, um, If Dogs Run Free. Oh, yeah. Never okay. forget. Never forget. <laughs> and this song has nothing to do with this. This is just a normal. It's kind of a very beautiful song. It's kind of just like, it's kind of like Shelter from the Storm going to the gypsy, if you will, and talking. So we're definitely going to talk about gypsy. I feel like we do this a lot. We have to sit down and be like, listen, gypsies, Roma. So get your notes out from Buffy. and we'll, Yeah, go uh, listen to our other podcast. Yeah, exactly. Comes beat me and my whole diatribe about how gypsy is a derogatory term and uh Romani, Romani. I think that was uh, during Passion, real. right? When, when uh, she died. Yep. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Although I didn't say who died. Somebody does. <laughs> uh, so go listen to that if you want a quick rejoinder or wait until the episode is out. Episode 68. Went to see the Gypsy. We will definitely talk about it again. Kelly, this has been a pleasure. It's been amazing. I know. What a great song. Yeah. This one will not move you like uh, the other one did, unfortunately. But I mean, that's probably for the fucking It might guys. move you I got ways. stuff to do. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We, we, do have, we have other things to do. All right. Everybody. Good night. I don't sleep that well on trains Well, I got ups and downs My days are all the same I've been low But it never gets me down Well, I've been thrown out I've been let down I've been shamed Well, I've had hardships I've been stripped of pride and name I've been low